Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The people who put the I in the LGBTQIA plus initialism might be the most misunderstood community within it. And yet it's estimated that as many as one in a hundred people are intersex. That means they're born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit the traditional definitions of male or female. Back in the day, people used the word hermaphrodite, which is considered offensive and inaccurate today. And that's because being intersex is much more complicated than the old idea of someone who has genitalia that's both male and female. A person might, for example, have male genitalia but female reproductive organs on the inside. They might have genitalia that's ambiguous. They might even have what's called mosaic genetics. Some cells have the classic female double X chromosome, while others have a male XY. And if that sounds complicated, it can be. That's the case both for parents raising a kid with ambiguous gender clues and for intersex people themselves. In some cases, they may not discover their intersex until they hit puberty. In others, it may be even later in life. Joining me in studio to talk about all of this is Dr. Christopher Lewis. He's a pediatric endocrinologist at Washington University in St. Louis and medical director of the Differences of Sex Development Clinic at the St. Louis Children's Hospital. Dr. Lewis, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We're also joined by Jordan Braxton. She is a chef in town, and you might know her by her previous name, which was Leon Braxton, and she has her own intersex story to tell. Jordan Braxton, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Has being intersex affected your life or your children's lives? Do you have a question or comment for either of our guests? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. So, Dr. Lewis, as I was sort of clumsily trying to explain above, this is really such a broad range of conditions. What unites the intersex? So, like you were mentioning earlier, it is a group of medical conditions in which someone's uh, anatomic anatomy, chromosome, gonads, or internal or external structures can be different than what we assume someone may be on a range of male to female in terms of sex. Uh, sex is when we're born is really designated based off of what we assume someone's anatomy is on the outside at birth. And sometimes that can be uh, ambiguous and sometimes it's not. Even in certain persons who have intersex conditions, the external anatomy can still appear uh, binary or what we would consider male or female. Hmm. So you might think you have a baby that is a boy and it might be that it's just a bit more complicated than that. Correct. When is this something that um, people begin to realize that, yes, there's, there's an intersex condition here? So that can happen at any stage of life. Uh, sometimes it's found soon after birth or even before birth based off of things that have been taking place during pregnancy with ultrasounds and testing. Other times it doesn't present itself until later in puberty, whether they're going through a typical or atypical puberty. And sometimes it doesn't present till later when people are undergoing tests for other things or if they're looking for uh, help with fertility. Okay. So, Jordan Braxton, your life is actually a classic example of, of what we're talking about. Um, this is not something that you were aware of for a very long time. So, tell us a little bit about your story. I understand you grew up in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. Um, and what was your childhood like? Um, I had a very beautiful childhood. Um, I just went to school. I played in the park. Um, I played tennis, basketball. Um, I did very typical male things. So um, I didn't go through, really go through puberty, but I, at that time, you know, I no one knew 
what intersex was or no one even even had an inkling. So I went to my pediatrician. I said, hey, doc, um, I'm in the locker room and things boys are developing things I'm not developing. And he said, that's because you're probably just in delayed puberty. So you'll have puberty later. You're so just, just a late bloomer. Yeah, I'm just a late bloomer. So I just went off to college, started my career um, at 52. I was at the doctor and the doctor was going to do some blood work. And um, she did the blood work. It was... Um, Dr. Teresa Knight at the women's clinic. Um, God rest her soul, she's passed since then. And she said, hey, there's some, is there something you need to tell me? And I was like, I don't think so, what's wrong? She said, well, come back in, I wanna do some more blood work. So we, she did some more blood work and she came back and she said, um, according to your paperwork and your blood work, you are um, a pseudohermaphrodite. So at that point I was like, huh, what, what do you mean? I don't Yeah, understand. did you even know what that word meant? Well, no, I, I had, I had paid attention to biology class and I knew what that meant but she kept talking and like anytime a doctor gives you diagnosis you the patient yourself kind of zone out that's why you bring a friend with you so they can listen so when she said so basically my friend you are intersex I said oh I know what that is so at that moment when she gave me that diagnosis it made everything it just got a bulb went off mm -hmm. So then she said there's more and I said there's more she said because of your hormone levels you um, are in menopause. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so it's it's not just genitalia too, it has to do with hormone levels. And I said, okay, so can I just get some testosterone and I'll be fine? And she said, no, you, and then she explained to me the reasons why I can't, so we started on a hormone replacement therapy. Okay, and, and a hormone replacement therapy, this is something that they would typically do for a menopausal woman? Or, mm -hmm. okay. Yes. And so this was your choice that at that point you decided, yes, that if this is what my chromosomes are saying, I'm going to roll with this. What my hormones are saying. And I said, well, I, 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 yeah. So, okay. So I started on, I started on hormones, but when I started hormones, it put me into puberty. So I had to go through menopause and puberty at the same time. Uh, Dr. Lewis, <laughs> listening to this story, and I, I know you've probably heard Jordan's story before, um, the idea of somebody who has been going to the doctor throughout their life and they get to a point of being 52 before anybody detects this, is this a case of doctors who should have picked up on some clues or is it possible there would not have been clues in this case? So like we mentioned earlier, intersex conditions are a wide group of different uh, health outcomes and some of them you can go your entire life and never be diagnosed. Others require urgent interventions soon after birth. And so it's a, it's a pretty vast array of presentations in which uh, people can present with an intersex condition. Okay, so you're not shocked hearing that this was Jordan's story. Definitely not. Jordan, for you, you said it was kind of like a light bulb went off. What were some things that began to make sense once you understood, yes, I'm intersex? Because um, in my story that I've told several times, um, is that I never felt masculine. I always felt feminine. So people always just said, oh, well, that's because you're gay. And I was like, okay. So I accepted that. But as you get older, and had it not been for Dr. Knight, I would have never, ever find out that mm -hmm. I was intersex. Because there's a lot of people who don't even find out intersex until they do an autopsy. Mm -hmm. So it just it just made everything clearer to me. And it gave me, um, when I started on the hormones, all my anger and anxiety and it it like my mind and body weren't in the same space. So mm -hmm. now everything is fine. I'm 58 and I have never been healthier and happier.
That's so great to hear. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that before this, you had been interested in drag and you had been a a pretty prominent drag performer. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was tied into the fact that that really you had all this femininity? Well, for a long time, when I used to go um, to the bars and the girls in the show would say, you know what? you're actually a woman. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Shut up. And I get mad and I'd cuss him out and I'd storm out the bar because I was mad because I, I was like, no, I'm I'm just a gay man who likes sports. And they're like, no, you're not. And so as time went on, people kept saying it. And then one night I just gave in to peer pressure. And I said, okay, put some makeup on my face and say what I look like because I was not going to go on the stage and look ugly. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> A girl um, has to have some standards. Oh, my, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm very vain that way. So um, put makeup on, long story short, um, you know, you have a drag mother. And before, back in the day, before you could even get on stage, you had to perform for your drag mother because if you were horrible, you could not take her name. You could not be associated with her. So my drag mother's name is Jeff Noble, Mona Desmond. So we performed in the living room and I got approval, went to the very first. The next week was the, an, an amateur show at nights. Um, I was an amateur show. I was horrible. <laughs> Horrible. So, I mean, that's got to be a hard thing to do for the first time. It was. It was. It was. Yes. It was. It was hard. I was horrible. So I went home. I, I honed my craft. But people were saying you don't have enough makeup on. I was like, I don't want all that makeup on. I just no. I just. I've never worn a lot of makeup. So fast forward to now. I look at as Dieta as a precursor to who I am today. Mm-hmm. Do you continue to perform? Um. Yes, but not. I, I don't care if I do a show again. Yeah, you don't need that anymore. I don't need that anymore, but I do it for charity. Okay. Yes. So if the, if the right cause comes along, yes. you, you mm-hmm. can be persuaded. Yeah. But, but it sounds like overall you're finding the fulfillment in your life these days. You don't need that performance aspect. No, I'm finding, actually I'm finding my, I have found my authentic self. Dr. Lewis, so, um, you know, back in the day, I understand that physicians just didn't really understand how to deal with, with these conditions in a way that they do now. Historically, what might have happened in a case like this if, if this was detected? Something like Jordan having these blood tests come back the way they came back. So again, it would depend on at what point in someone's life uh, they are diagnosed with an intersex condition. Um, it would depend on what the condition actually is and what are the known uh, interventions or treatments that even are required for that condition. Some, some intersex conditions do not require any sort of actual therapy mm-hmm. from a hormonal or surgical standpoint, and others, others do. Some may be elective procedures that are only pursued if the patient is interested in it. Others are maybe medically indicated. Um, for a lot of individuals, we wait until someone is of age, they can provide their own thoughts and input, or what we call in the medical community consent or assent, before doing surgical uh, interventions that are not necessary from a medical standpoint. In the past, that may have been different, where people were undergoing surgical procedures that changed their anatomy and aspects of who they are without their permission. This was being done to babies, for example? Yes. Okay. And I assume this was coming from a place where the doctors thought that they were doing something helpful. Um, did this end up having consequences for these people later in life if, if the doctors chose um, something that, that didn't end up matching up later? Well, I think what me and my colleagues uh, that also practice in taking care of people with differences of sex development is that those who have been Uh, taken care of in the past 
are recognizing that the surgical interventions that were done without their assent or consent may not have had the best outcomes, and they frequently wish that nothing had been done or something different had been done. Okay. And I think it highlights the uh, nuances and differences between biological sex, gender, gender expression, sexual orientation, other aspects of what we call SOGI or sexual orientation gender identity data and how they may be different than what people assume. So uh, Jordan's story is Jordan's story. Other people with similar uh, conditions that Jordan may have may have different paths and journeys that they'll take. And so those variations in how someone's outcome is going to be is really dependent on the individual. Okay. We're talking to Dr. Christopher Lewis and Jordan Braxton about the intersex condition. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking today to Dr. Christopher Lewis. He's a pediatric endocrinologist at Washington University in St. Louis and medical director of the Differences in Sex Development Clinic at the St. Louis Children's Hospital. And we're also joined by Jordan Braxton, who's telling us her story of being intersex. What about you? Do you have a question or comment for our guests? You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, Dr. Lewis, you were mentioning earlier that in some cases decades ago, people often did surgery on newborns when it wasn't necessarily warranted. And yet you also mentioned that there are some urgent interventions that even today where surgery might be something that, that needs to be done. Give us an example of something where we'd have an urgent intervention. Well, it's not just urgent surgical intervention, but sometimes urgent hormonal interventions. So, for example, if someone has a condition called bladder extrophy uh, or cloacal extrophy, that's when portions of their or internal organs are born outside of their body. Obviously, we need our organs inside our body, and so those need to be put back in and surgically repaired for the external aspect. And sometimes when people have severe variations of that condition, that impacts the development of the genitals. Mm -hmm. And so when, during the surgical repair process, the genitals get repaired as well. Um, another example would be someone who's born with a something called congenital adrenal hyperplasia, where their body can't make necessary adrenal hormones in order to survive and, and thrive. And that can cause variations in genital development as well, where people make more androgens, or what we will say as male hormones. That requires urgent hormonal replacement, not from a sex steroid standpoint, such as estrogen or testosterone, but from an adrenal gland standpoint, giving enough cortisol or other hormones to make sure they're able to keep their uh, body in a homeostasis or a normal functioning pattern. So when you're having these conversations with parents where you're trying to explain, okay, we're dealing with somebody here who's intersex, here's what intersex is, what kind of reactions do you see? Are parents um, able to understand this as, as just this is within the range of being human? I think it is a difficult con uh, conversation to have with families to explain to them the differences in which uh, sex is not binary. Sex meaning our hormonal anatomical aspects of biology. 
most people assume that sex is male or female. And we know specifically within the medical community that that's simply not the case. There are a lot of variations and shades between male and female that people are born into that we have to have that discussion about how that may impact that child's life and health. Do parents sometimes react with shame? I would say it is a difficult uh, situation to find yourself in because the topic of intersex is still considered taboo within our, our society. And so a lot of families don't want to have to deal with this uh, situation. They sometimes view it as a burden. But more importantly, most parents are just wanting to have the best outcome for their child. And so they don't want their child to undergo any sort of unnecessary burden in the future than what already is going to happen place through someone's life. Jordan Braxton, this all happened to you when you were already in your 50s, when you began to realize um, medically the reasons for these things that, that had been happening your, your whole life. You must have made a conscious decision at some point. I'm not just going to tell this story. I'm going to tell this story with my name. I'm going to tell it to pretty much anybody who will listen. Was that hard to, to get yourself to that point? Well, when I first found out that um, I was in a sex and got my diagnosis, I wasn't going to tell anyone hmm. because of like what Dr. Lewis said. There's a lot of shame attached to it. There's a lot of, um, not ignorance is the right word, but people are unfamiliar with what intersex means. So I wasn't going to tell anyone. I was like, I don't know how to explain this to people. You know, there's already being um, an African-American gay man is bad enough in St. Louis. But then you add intersex on top of that and a drag queen. I was like, okay, one more thing. Right. So I said, and then some friends said, you know, the God or universe gave you this for a reason. Mm -hmm. So why not tell people your story? There might be someone um, in Braggadocious or or Owensville or out there in rural Missouri that that feels like you but don't know anything about it. So maybe you should just reconsider and, and tell your story. And I thought, well, okay. So I published my first story in issue of Vital Voice magazine in December of 2011, I think it was. And I've just been telling my story ever since. Yeah. Um, because I believe that activism through education is a form of great activism. If you go out and you educate people, because people don't, um, people are always resistant to things they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Because one of my greatest quotes is by um, Nelson Mandela, who says that education is our greatest weapon in this war against intolerance. And that's what it is. People are just intolerant of things they don't understand. Do you hear from people, because you have been so public, where people seek you out and they say, yeah, I'm dealing with this. Help me. Yes, I have several, several times. And know. do you feel like you're able to, to give them some insight now that you've um, had, I don't know, I guess a decade of, of yes. this insight? Um, I, I tell them, just be you. Accept it. Um, talk about it. Um, I, there's a little online group that we have. That we share stories and, and is that like a support. private online group? Mm -hmm. yes. or Okay, yes, yeah. very private. So people can f share freely. Mm -hmm. So freely, we talk about it. We just said, you know, what's going on today? If you feel down, and sometimes myself, being on hormones and going through menopause, some days you don't feel like you even want to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to muster up the energy to get through the day because you just, you know, you can't lay in bed all day. You have to go to work and and pay bills. So it's things like that. And, and a lot of time on Facebook, I'll. I'll tell stories and, you know, hashtag intersex problems. But, you know, so people are aware. It's all about education. People need to be aware. And, you know, Dr. Lewis is doing great work with medical education, and I'm kind of doing 
the work on this people on the street education. Dr. Lewis, how important is it to have people like Jordan who are front and center saying, here's my story, I'm going to tell it to you unvarnished? Well, I think one of the biggest things that we can do for our intersex community to help prevent further health disparities is awareness and education. Um, normalizing that there is nothing wrong with these individuals, that they are completely whole just like everyone else, and we all have our burdens and situations that we need to take care of, and this really isn't one of them, uh, that we should be recognizing them as genuine humans just like anyone else. And so which is why as part of our clinic, it's a multidisciplinary team where we do involve endocrinology, genetics, urology, uh, gynecology, as well as psychiatry and psychology to, to, to make sure that we're taking care of the individual as a whole and individualizing our care plans based on the patient and not just on some roadmap for that condition. Jordan, I've heard it said that intersex is a societal issue that doctors are trying to treat with a medical solution. Would you agree with that? Hmm. I mean, it is... Um, Oh, God, I'm stumped by that question. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lewis, what do you think? <laughs> do you think that's an oversimplification to say that? So th there are known medical complications that can arise as a result of having an intersex condition. I think the social constructs that surround that topic, though, are that. They're socially created. Mm -hmm. And if we were to dismantle them and show how... Uh, they're just aspects of humanity, they would have less of a negative impact. Jordan, you're nodding. You feel yes. like you would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, because, because even when I'm doing lectures about intersex to, to groups of people, to businesses, to organizations, people don't actually believe that intersex people exist. Hmm. Even when I go to the bars, people go, are intersex, is that a real thing? I'm like, I'm standing right here, so yes, it's a real thing. And people are just not... I don't believe in they're like unicorns. Sometimes I think like intersex people and unicorns. We hear about them, we read about them, but they don't exist. So I'm like, here we are. Here we are. We, here exist. We, are. we exist. And people say as many as one in a hundred people are on some continuum of this. Yeah, it depends on how you want to define differences in sex development or intersex condition. Uh, but it's a lot more common than what people realize. They're as common as twins and redheads. Wow. <laughs> that oh, tells you something. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Christopher Lewis of Washington University in St. Louis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Jordan Braxton, thank you for being here. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.